Hi, everybody. You're listening to the Finding the Origination Point podcast. The Origination Point is connected to bias awareness and bias deconstruction. And the Origination Point is the notion that all of our biases, implicit or explicit, have a point in time where they started, where we were given a narrative or had an experience with a small group of people that then we extrapolate to a larger group of people. And the reason why the origination point is so important is because that is the point of healing and understanding. So as we're deconstructing and making our biases more conscious, the origination point supports us in understanding where they came from and healing any emotional impacts that they're currently having in our lives. So sit back, open your mind, open your heart, and let's see if we can find your origination points to bias. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Bill De La Cruz, and you are listening to The Origination Point. We started this podcast a few years ago to really engage people in conversations around connection and race and climate and culture and all of the things that are happening in our relationships today in our world and in our country and in our communities. And we decided to start this new phase of conversations called The Awakened Heart, Rehumanizing Our Connections. And it was actually the brainchild of my good friend Guadalupe, who I met uh, when I lived in Oregon, and we serve on the board of Youth Villages together. And we had been talking a lot about all of these issues around race and how people see each other through this lens of race, and then really understanding that race is a social construct. So it was created based on people. And and just as an aside, I always think about if race is a social construct, if we no longer believe that race was an identifier of who people are, would racism still exist? I don't know. I think about it all the time myself, though, because if it's a social construct that's rooted in our brains, can we rewire our brains to look at people differently? And I think it's an important question because one of the ways that we're having discourse around race is is looking at people from their color and looking at people of color different than we look at white people and vice versa. And a lot of this discourse around the country and our communities has been rooted in seeing white people as the problem. And when Guadalupe and I talked, we both talked about how we knew people who are white, who are doing some really great things and who are not afraid to have this conversation and really want to be engaged and yet don't want to be engaged from perspective of being blamed or being looked at as the problem. And so we talked and talked and we thought, well, let's start a new podcast called The Awakened Heart, Rehumanizing Our Connections. And let's bring in people from, from, from that racial group to talk about what are some of the things that they're doing. And so, so that's how the Awakened Heart was born, was really looking at how do we look at all of the allies and keep everyone engaged in what we're doing to be able to really move this conversation from the divisive nature that it, it currently is to something that rehumanizes our connections and sees 
each other through the lens of who we authentically are versus all these stories that we're making up about them. And as you know, the origination point was designed to really start to look at how did all of these things start, these racial categories and this discourse that we're in. And then not only how did they start, really looking at what is our role in shifting the tide and in creating connections. So we've had a number of guests and we have a wonderful guest that we will be introducing to you in a few minutes. Right now, though, I want to welcome my co-host, Guadalupe Guajardo. And how are you tonight, my friend? It's good to see I, you. I am great. And I'm always extra great when I'm with you, Bill, and with a new guest. Which uh, And tonight we've got Kathy Neve with us. But I want to say a couple of things. Thank you for that great introduction about origination and how the awakened heart lives within that uh, podcast. And I live as a spiritual being having a human experience. And so as I go through life, I listen for the stories people share from their heart. And which is why I think the awakened heart, when I came onto that from Dr. Lisa Miller, I thought that's what I want to call this. Um, there's two major driving points. One of them is decades ago, um, Tools for Diversity was made up of an African-American man, a white uh, female uh, recovering attorney is what she would call herself. <laughs> I call myself a recovering Catholic, a <laughs> recovering Catholic nun. And and Kathleen used to teach racism in the law up at Lewis and Clark. And so when we would do our workshops, she did a piece on um, and racism in the law and affirmative action and all the white people who had been instrumental in adv advancing so much of the racial inequality toward greater equality. And I'll never forget one of the young white women in the audience, almost with a quiver in her voice, said, why don't we know this about ourselves? Mm. No, why don't we know that as white people, we have been doing good work all along and all alongside people of color. And that really stayed with me. And then, uh, and then I've often asked my white friends, when, why don't, when I hear, when we're talking inevitably, if, if someone doesn't bring up race, I bring up race, but it usually is part of a conversation we have because it's, it's so much, embedded in our society, especially now that we're so divided. And, and the response I've gotten when I've asked my, my dear white friends, why don't you share these stories with each other? It's this, well, we don't want to seem like the great white hope and the, and the redeemers of racism or that we're the good white people or we're bringing on ourselves. Um, but it's so much bigger than that in my heart. It's about the altruism that I hear that's shared, the love of neighbor that gets, uh, that's part of this, the sense of we are one with humanity. And for some, there's an element of moral code. 
And well, it's really interesting though what you said because a lot of what you said about being good white people and things like that, those are all the stereotypes that are thrown at white people when they say, I want to be an ally or I support I support all people because of whatever it is that they bring. And I think that's what we're working to break down is that that it's there is a humility that everyone can bring into this conversation. And mm-hmm. we need to be open to listening in a way that allows for that discourse to truly happen. So mm-hmm. I, I, I just appreciate that that lens and the description that you gave. Yes. And I'm invited, uh, I invited many of my white friends. And Kathy, this is again a testimony to you. You just like, I have this invitation. I have an opportunity. While the is inviting me, I'm going to respond. And, um, and you're actually, many I've had to sort of dog and follow up with, but you have been so graciously making yourself available. And I'm like, great. Um, Kathy is a longtime friend and has a special place in my heart because of your steadfastness. And when you, when you talk about your life, you, you, you're willing to talk about what's gotten difficult. And that's what's really touched me, that no matter how difficult things get, you do not give up. You do not give up, which tells me so much about your passion, your commitment, your thoughtfulness. And we've talked about several um several parts of your personal and your professional life. And I'm, and I'm, I want you to feel free to share from those places that feel the most comfortable. Um, but I want you um, somewhere in here to share as specifically, how do you keep on keeping on? That's part of the story that I hope you'll, you'll share about your life. So please, please tell us more about yourself and your personal and professional journey. Sure. Well, thank you, Guadalupe. And Bill, it's so lovely to meet you. I've heard so many wonderful things about you. So it's just, it feels really nice to be in conversation with you too this evening. Thank you. Um, Yeah, it's great to have you here. Thank you. And of course, you know, I just have to say that it was humbling to receive the invitation and, I, you know, I'm, I'm a flawed human being, of course. I'm a particularly flawed white person. Uh, and so it feels uncomfortable to do this. Um, when we were chatting before, Guadalupe, you asked me to think about how I push through the fear in doing equity and justice work, particularly racial justice work. And I realized, like, I don't, I don't push through the fear. I just bring it right along with me. So this, this may be an example of that. As comfortable as, as, as it is to sit and chat with you, it is uncomfortable um, to talk about these things publicly for a variety of reasons. But it's important to do that. And I so appreciate the prompt for me to think about it um, and that you are prompting other people to think about altruism and racial justice. So thank you. It's just, it's just really great to be here. So, you know, I, I think about 
these themes, certainly in my work and my personal life. And I, I, I want to say that in my professional life, I, I work with incredibly, um, well, first of all, I should say that I work with nonprofit organizations. So I get to work with people who are mission-driven, values-oriented, racial justice-minded, and I get to contribute to their missions in some small way, which feels great. Um, and I get paid for that. So when I think about really striving for altruism and oneness with humanity and the themes that you presented, I, I work harder to do that, I think, in many ways in my personal life as a volunteer. And so I thought I might at least start off by talking about some of my volunteer work. Please. Okay. Um, and also, if I may, I wanted to, I came across a few quotes that really speak to me about your themes and kind of set the stage for me. So I want to share them just briefly. So the first one, you know, certainly not original. It's just, uh, but it's so powerful. Fannie Lou Hamer's, nobody's free until everybody's free. You know, I really feel that deeply and viscerally. And I think it's important for white people in particular and other people of privilege, um, you know, like I'm a cishet, able-bodied, upper-middle-class white woman. So it's important for me to remember that my own safety and well-being is tied directly to the safety and well-being of the least safe and the least well-off amongst us. And so that's why that, you know, I think we need to be honest with ourselves about that. There's altruism, but also let's be real about how it impacts us to live in a world where there is oppression. Another quote I really like here is, if you want to lift yourself up, lift up someone else. And that's Booker T. Washington. And by far and away, I get more out of volunteering than I give, you know, every single time. And I meet incredible people and I learn new cultures and new ways of thinking. I get that endorphin rush, you know, that helper's high, some people call it. So that quote also really resonates with me. And then there's another one. This is my all-time favorite. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, an African proverb. And obviously, you know, if we want to live in a better world, we got to work together. And so those are the three quotes that really resonated with me when I was thinking about these themes. Those are wonderful. So I have a question for you too about my volunteer experience here. It's, it's not all race related. So it, would you like me to, to narrow it to racial justice work or to, to speak to these topics more generally? So I think one of the things that, that I wrote down as you were talking was this idea of awareness versus saving. What I heard from you is you have, a pretty heightened sense of awareness and not from a savior mentality. So, so I don't know if that's something that you want to speak to, because I think that's important for, for people to be aware of that, um, that this isn't about saving or fixing or helping as much as it just being aware of how privilege plays out and how, 
folks who are more marginalized for whatever reason um, don't need to be fixed or pulled up as much as just being aware that that's just a part of our our culture. It's part of our community. And so, so that would be great to talk a little bit about that with you. And then uh, what does it mean to you to go together? Because I love that quote too. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So how does that play out um, in, in the world that you live in? Yeah, that's such a great question. When I think about go together, I think about needing to, you know, sort of look around and look beyond what you already know, the people that you already know, for example. Um, And really, I think it's, you know, one of the most important things we need to do is to reach beyond our usual circles of friends and family members. I think it's one of the things that's broken in our country. People are so separated by culture and by political beliefs, uh, geography. And I, I, I think really working on this idea of together is critical for creating better lives for all of us, even those of us that are privileged. I don't want to live in a walled place. I don't want to live in a community where everybody looks like me and thinks like me. It's boring and it, it's just not the world that, that we live in either. And I think it, trying to pretend that, um, that there aren't differences and hardships out there is its own kind of oppression, really. So how do you how do you work through your own fear? Because one of the things you said is, I don't think I put it aside, I just bring it with me. So even like speaking out can be a scary thing because you don't know how people are going to respond. Even as much as I do this work, I know that on any given presentation or podcast or dialogue that someone could take offense with something that I say. And and I know how I work through it. I'm just curious, you know, what are your strategies and, and what ideas can you give others? Because part of why we wanted to do this podcast is how can we empower others to continue to speak up and, and not be afraid? Sure. Right. I mean, for me, the the greatest fear is possibly offending someone or worse, causing harm. And also, of course, there's this idea in our white supremacist culture of perfectionism. And I certainly am a product of that, that culture. And so, you know, fear of being wrong also. And I've also learned that the most meaningful work is the hardest work. And so to shy away from that is, is not as satisfying. I, you know, I want to, I want to learn and grow. And the only way to grow is to try new things, even if it means you fail. Mm -hmm. Guadalupe thoughts. I know you have a lot of things in your head there. I have come across so many, um, 
white people who want to play it safe that I don't, I don't always understand. Um, and maybe you can speak to this. It's, it's so short sighted and so limiting um, to want to play it safe. So I don't know if it's part of the human condition um, to, li to limit, but as I listen to you, you've just said, I'm just, that, that, those are not my values. That is not my belief system. I want to know, how did you get your belief system? What, where did you get it? Where do you draw on that there are more white people like you. And that's, I think, part of why I wanted you to come on and talk about that element of fear because I just know so many good white people who would go further, so much further for themselves and others if they weren't so guarded. And you don't seem to have that. Well, thank you. That's, so how did you that's a huge compliment, especially coming from you. And also not always true. I'm certainly, you know, guilty over the years and even today of sometimes not taking that risk and speaking up when I should. But I, but I like to think I'm getting better at it. And, you know, again, we just like to, to be, to play it safe means to maintain the status quo and the status quo is just not okay. It's not okay for other people, and it's not okay for me. Again, it impacts my life, too, to live in a world that's so divided and violent. So you asked about maybe you know, where some of these values came from, and not surprisingly, my parents played a big role in that. And when I think about the values that my parents instilled um, there were many, and, and they were instilled implicitly and explicitly. Um, you know, many things were modeled for me and maybe not talked about, but also they made a point to talk about these things with me. Um, a few of the, the most compelling ones, I think, are um, at the top of the list. They instilled in me the idea that how you treat people is fundamentally important and to treat them with kindness and dignity. Um, and, and, and they, and they modeled that every day. Also generosity, um, and not just money, though they're both generous with money, but also, you know, if I called my mom or dad right now and said, my dear friend, Guadalupe needs help and I need you to come out to help me help her, they would be here tomorrow. They would hop on a plane and they would come out. They just would. So that's the kind of generosity I'm talking about. Um, incidentally, my brother, who's my only sibling, also has, has these um, characteristics. Also, I would say service to community was modeled for me um, by my parents and also lots of people around me, um, neighbors and family members. Um, and when I say community, you know, all of the communities. So neighborhood, church, school, um, country, um, uh, you know, uh, it, sort of however you would think of community, all those ways. Um, and then also gratitude. My, you know, my parents were 
regularly pointing out to my brother and to me, um, and, and, and not making us feel guilty about things, but they would remind us, you know, look, our parents, our grandparents, my grandparents, their parents lived through the depression. My mom grew up in a really uh, low income family. She, She had a rich life, but was economically poor. And, and so, you know, it was instilled in us to not take things for granted. So anyway, those are some of the the things that I can easily point to in thinking about how I was raised. Um, and then uh, other family members, a great aunt and uncle who did incredible civil rights work, um, a great aunt and uncle, and then an aunt um, who for decades has volunteered in all sorts of ways, like in the arts and human service organizations. And, um, and so I've just, I've had so many people modeled this for me and normalize it for me. This was expected. And and people weren't ever looking for praise about it. It was just, you know, part of dinner conversations and conversations at the mailbox and things like that. (laughs) What I love about your sharing all of that is if I was listening to this and I had children, I'd go, what are the explicit and implicit values I'm communicating to them? That's what I love about listening to this because I just think it's important to actually list them and say, it's not an accident. I am who I am. It, I got put together like this because I was, I had parents and neighbors and relatives that influenced that influenced you and our children wait for us to influence them because they're constantly scanning and listening and wondering how to put their lives together. So that's what's really, that's why I realize now I was grateful to have you share mm-hmm. that. And Guadalupe, what about for you? Do you remember your parents talking to you um, even if, um, uh, not directly uh, about values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people, if you look up Catholicism, it'll have a picture of my mother, <laughs> my my very <laughs> pious mother. And if you looked up the word activist, it would have a picture of my Jewish father. And they were a great combination. But one of the messages that my father um, lived and and expressed was it's and and my parents were migrant farmers and i told people we were like surviving class we were looking forward to being working class <laughs> um and and my father would say it's not enough to get ahead it's not enough to get ahead we have to bring others along with us wow so so that's so that's how I live my life. Who can I bring along with me as I do good in the world? Who can I bring with me to make sure we're, you know, it's the better together, as you were saying, Kathy. So that's a piece. How about you, Bill? I knew you were going to ask me that. And I was doing my best to not think about it while you were talking. 
And, you know, you know, I've had a pretty crazy childhood and upbringing and, and I had a real lack of my cultural identity. So I think a lot of those things around people's identity and around seeing people for their authentic self and being respectful of people are all things that grew out of a pretty challenging childhood. And so even though I could say the way that I learned these lessons would not and were not the ways that I modeled these for my children, still I believe that where what I went through made me who I am today. So I think the idea of of authenticity, because I didn't know who my authentic self was, not as a child, not in my 20s, probably not even in my 30s. And so, so authenticity is really important. And just accepting people for who they are and realizing that everyone has the ability to hurt and everyone has the ability to love and to help. And we're all a mix of all of that. And I've been both of those my whole life. And I think what really drives me today are those values of authenticity, of respect, of acceptance, and just wanting to create a more humane space for for everyone. And mm-hmm. and I think it's a really challenging time. And I want to ask Kathy a question. And I and Guadalupe knows I, I do a lot through stories. So I'm going to tell a story first, and then it'll result in a question. So I travel across the country. I work with people from every identifying factor you can imagine. And this one question, though, is more prevalent when I work with both white men and women, when they know that they either are coming to a workshop of mine or when in an organization they're told they have to be there, for many of them, they either ask their boss or they ask me, is this another workshop where I'm going to be called a racist just because I'm a white man or a white woman? And I'm curious if in your lifetime, if anyone has treated you that way, either implied or directly just based on your race. Because I think that's a, for me right now, I see that as a leading fear indicator for white people to really engage in the conversation because I don't really blame them. I wouldn't want to be demeaned or denigrated just based on how people see me and then and then think that they really want me to engage in a conversation. So I'm curious if that's ever happened to you or anyone, if not you, if someone you know, and, and how do you respond to something like that? I don't think... I've had it happen that someone who hadn't interacted with me at all previously called me racist. I have had um, my language or behavior called racist, and mm. and and rightly so. And you know, and so it's painful to admit that, but that has happened, and. At the time, uh, you know, sometimes I, like in the moment I can recognize it and sometimes it's that intent versus impact dilemma. Um, but I, you know, I do know from relatives, sadly, that 
race is for some people a non-starter in a conversation. They automatically, you know, they hear about the, they, they hear about if, if something's BIPOC, they automatically think, um, oh, well, that is, that is politically charged. I mean, it's sort of like in the category of, of the current book bans and um, the 1619 project and, and things like that. So people, I think, have a knee-jerk reaction to classifying something or some people, perhaps, as mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, in a particular racial way, with a with a certain racial lens, or in many in those cases, racist lenses. Well, that's really. Interesting, because while you haven't been just treated that way based on how someone saw you, you did have people check you for language or behavior. So, so that's probably a good thing. Yes, that not only they were able to check you, but you were also able to take it. Because I think that's the other part of the challenge. And 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 none of us, as you said, is perfect. And as long as I've done this work, I know that. I'm going to say something that's going to offend somebody or I might have a blind spot. And so mm-hmm. how I take it is, is really important because that's a learning opportunity uh, as well. And, and, you know, we could do a whole show on all the false narratives around the things that you just talked about around what does BIPOC mean and, and the politicization of all of this language, but we'll save that for another podcast because we could be mm-hmm. here all night if we mm-hmm. jumped into that. Um, no, Bill, if, if I could just thoughts, interject questions? really quick, um, something oh, you just said please, please. reminded me that um, when I started uh, learning about racial justice work and activism in, in my professional world, I was working at the YWCA Clark County in Vancouver, just a, across the river from Portland, where I am. And the first person we hired to come in and work with our our staff and board members was Guadalupe. And I will always remember oh. her saying at the outset of our project, it's and she used herself as an example, which was particularly powerful to me. Um, as since I so respected her work, and also since she's a woman of color, she said, it's not if I'm going to offend someone, it's when I'm going to offend someone. And what matters is how I respond. And so that mm, was such yep. a critical lesson for me. And it also gave me a little bit of courage to think about, well, gosh, if Lupe is going to make mistakes, um, then I guess it's... A, and she's, you know... I. Been doing this for so long and is so thoughtful and so good at this work, then I guess it's okay for me to make mistakes as well. Oh, so that actually gave you the courage to step out a little bit. Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I think I might have also said as part of that, or maybe I, maybe it evolved for me, but what I also began to um, to say at the beginning of workshops, Kathy, because it became it became so evident that it really was when when I'm going to put my foot in my mouth, not if I'm going <laughs> to. It's like it's more like when I do it. I I learned to ask to give me a hand, and that and and I I thought about that in response to people giving you feedback, 
people will not get feedback if it's going to look like it's going to be costly. Hmm. You know, if it looks like it's really going to cost me something. I'm I'm not going to do it. No, so so what do you mean? What do you mean by that? If it's costly. The person's going to get defensive. Hmm. Okay. Um, they're going to find some way to deflect. They're going to find um, some way to turn it around. That's what I mean by it's going to be costly. Um, and so if people approached you, I, I'd say it was a compliment that you were approachable, accessible, which I'd like to think is what I strive for because it's the only way to grow is to get feedback. When I, um, I remember I was doing this workshop with people with who were um, vision impaired, severely vision impaired. And I remember um, asking a question and then I just said, would you raise your hand if you've ever had that experience? <laughs> but I'd already said, I'd already said, I know I'm, I've never worked with people who are vision impaired. So I knew I, there were, there were, that I had normal language for normal people who can see, not for people who can't. And they just laughed, you know, instead of being upset or angry, they just laughed and they went, so could you tell us what you see when we raise our hands? <laughs> you know? It's, so, um, in any event. Well, it's almost like I hear you saying, even though these can be really heady and serious topics, we need to stop taking ourselves so seriously and just realize that we're going to make missteps, which is what I tell people. This is imperfect work. The work of rehumanizing our connections is imperfect. And, and we're going to make missteps. And if we beat each other up for a misstep, then we're not going to reconnect with each other. We're going to further divide. And, and the hope for everything that we're talking about is how do we rehumanize these connections and how do we see the humanity that is alive within each one of us and, and mm -hmm. really realize that, that as cliche as it might sound, we are the change that we want to see. And, mm -hmm. and right now, um, some days I question what I see and I could either say, well, that's the problem with humanity. Or I could say, what is it about me that's seeing that reflection? I listened to a podcast today about the mirror and how the mirror just reflects who we are. And so, so I, when I see things that I don't like, I can go to Maya Angelou's quote about if you don't like something, change it. And if you can't change it, change your attitude. And so, mm -hmm. so I think that's a lot of what we're, we're talking about. So Kathy, any last thoughts or encouragement to folks um, as we start to wind down? Well, or even one of your stories. Well, I was just going to say. Yeah, one of your stories would be great. I also, if I may, I want to just say one more thing about this topic that we're on because it also goes back to the, this, this question you asked about sort of pushing through the fear and you know, in doing this work, you know, white, white people have to do this work or we're not going to make progress on the racial justice front. And however 
uncomfortable it is or stressful or even fearful for me, I can recognize so easily, of course, that that, those feelings pale in comparison to what it must feel like to be a person of, of color in our country. And so when you think about it in those terms, it makes it a lot easier to just step out and try and do the work. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. So Guadalupe has told me you have a lot of stories. So before we conclude, maybe you'd like to share one with us and our listeners. And maybe Guadalupe, your prompts will help. I'm going to trust Kathy to share a story because Kathy, it's clear. I want to have you back. <laughs> and, well, and, and when we've had, when we've had five or 10 other people, I want to have you back, but I'd love for you to just share something, something that inspires and motivates you to keep on keeping on. Well, I don't, I'm sorry to tell you about, I don't know that I have a story. Um, Although in thinking about your question just now, I what keeps me keeping on is getting to be in community with people like you, like both of you. Now, Bill, you are in my community. <laughs> I hope that's all right with you. And to that's absolutely fine. <laughs> it, it just enriches my my life personally. It enriches my work to be in community with people who care about racial justice in particular, but also the, you know, beyond that and these larger concepts of oneness and um, people who believe in altruism and, and want to see real change happen in our world. Mm-hmm. And I can, when I, you know, I like to say that I like to work in my own backyard. And one of the reasons is because, it's easier, I think, to feel agency, um, for me anyway, in, in working in a specific geographic area, in part because I can do the work in relationship with people and then and there are people that will stay in my life even after our project is over. Mm. But, I, but that way we can see actually in our own backyard what we've done together because we live here. And so that is something that keeps me going is just being able to, to work with people right here in Portland. And these days, of course, virtually, um, we can work with people uh, who have ties to Portland, even if, even if they're not here, Bill, um, and we can see the progress that we're making together. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like those connections are what really drive you and give you that um, ability to just keep moving through these conversations. Mm-hmm. So before we wrap up, Guadalupe, maybe you can finish this conversation and I'll close us out. This was just the tip of the iceberg of what I wanted you to share, Kathy. Um, but I've learned more about you and more about the depth and the breadth of your of your commitment and your passion, which I knew was there. So this has been an absolute delight. And I want to have you back to share those stories that we didn't get to um, that haven't that have played. I will give you the pro- I will remind you of the experiences you've had that have inspired me to inspire others. So either of you have any 
closing words. I just want to say thank you, Kathy, for accepting this invitation, for bringing the full sum of yourself, your experience, and your your background, your passion, uh, and your commitment. Well, and I'll say the beauty of this podcast is that we just never know where it's going to go. And where it's going to go is usually the right place. And I just want to thank Kathy for being a part of our program tonight and want to thank you, Guadalupe, for inviting her and for everything that was brought into this conversation Mm -hmm. and just really looking forward to seeing where we go and how this evolves. And Kathy, any last words uh, before we conclude? I just want to thank you both so much for having me on. I love the prompt to think more about altruism and love of neighbor and racial justice. And I look forward to our next conversation. Excellent. Thank you. And for those of you who are listening, you're listening to the origination point and this segments that we're bringing to you are called the awakened heart, rehumanizing our connections And it's really grasping stories from folks who are doing things to reconnect with each other. So our encouragement to you is to reach out to somebody. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member that you've lost touch with. And rehumanize yourself to them. Ask them how they are. Ask them their story. Share parts of yourself. Be vulnerable. Because the the ultimate goal of what I do is to make the world a more humane place. And so everyone that I connect with is a little piece of that, that goal to make the world a more humane place of which I don't know if I'll see that on our planet in my lifetime. I see little pockets of it and pieces of it. What I do know that is if we can continue to plant seeds and people can continue to do that, and maybe my little grandkids who are six and three will see that in their lifetime. And I'll know that all of us have contributed to the creation of that. As, as that quote said, if, if you want to go far, go together. So thank you for listening. Thank you to our guests. Always thank you to my co-host, Guadalupe. And if you are inspired, reach out to us. Let us know your stories. Share this with your family, friends, community. And remember to keep growing. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Kathy. Have a good rest of your evening.